recording actually, in progress. We actually begin recording now. And so despite the fact that you aren't seeing currently any fruit, don't undermine the fact that there is nevertheless spiritual activity occurring underneath the ground where you where where the human eye is is unable to see anything visibly. And so the kingdom of God is is where we have to, the kingdom of God is is of a such a such a nature that we we have to trust the Lord despite what our eyes see or or fail to see. And this is where I learned this from uh a prophet I I I uh I gathered this it was really good and he said that you have to because <clears throat> sight is the predominant way we are fed information. We're communicated information through sight and we're communicated information through hearing. But we prefer sight over hearing if we had to choose of one of the two. We're going to choose sight because it is a predominant form of our receiving of information. He said in the spiritual, he says you have to be able to see with your ears and hear with your eyes. What he meant by that is you can't rely on what your natural eyes see. And you have to be able to hear, and and he's kind of mixing categories here. He said you have to hear with your eyes and see with your your ears. In other words, in the spirit realm, it, it is in the reversal. And it's it's predominantly our hearing in the spiritual that serves as our sight. And he he's basing that in, in the text where it says, My sheep know me and they hear my voice. And so we have to hear the word of God as our predominant way of of steering us in the correct direction rather than what our eyes are seeing. And so in the kingdom it, we we are we are led by our hearing, and that serves as our sight. You know, um, my uh, my my dear friend, he he said that it you have to in the kingdom you have to be able to you have to be a blind man to truly see, because what what that means is, in other words, in the spirit realm, you have to become blind in the natural. Because until you're blind with your eyes in the natural, you won't be able to see in the spirit. Because you're going to continue to conclude what is or isn't the will of God on the basis of what your eyes see. And so when you see Pharaoh's armies coming after you, you're going to conclude that you're dead when you're really not. And 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 when when you're when you're uh partaking of fruit in a garden, you know, with, with, you know, um, and there appears to be nothing wrong. And, and you're going to conclude from your sight that everything is all right. When in reality, God has pronounced your death. And I'm, I'm alluding to the, of the Genesis account when it says the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Well, he didn't die physically, right? And so there was something that wasn't registering with his eyes that was true in the spirit realm. And and hence, this, this is the reason why we must be blind to the natural and in tune with the spiritual. 
until that occurs, we're going to be tossed like infants by every wind of doctrine, by what our eyes see, but what our eyes don't see. What does the Bible say? It says the, the natural things, they're transient and they're temporal. He says, therefore, we walk by faith and not by sight. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And actually, in context, what he was referring to is <coughs> he was contrasting between the shadow, which was the old covenant, and the things that they could handle, and the temple they could see, and the altar they could sacrifice upon, and they could feel, and they can see visibly, in contrast to the new covenant that serves as the heavenly type. This serves as the reality and the substance, which is unseen to our natural eyes. And so we, we can no longer offer a sacrifice on a natural altar. We have to believe that 2,000 years ago, there, there had, uh, their blood was shed upon a heavenly altar. Through Jesus Christ. And so everything is by faith. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith isn't being naive. Faith isn't being naive. It's being... See, faith... We can't have faith in anything that God hasn't spoken. If there's an absence of His speech, there, there we have good reason to have an absence for faith. But wherever there is a presence of his speech, we have good warrant and justification and reason for belief, for faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so it's not that there, are, there isn't evidence. It's just that the, the currency of your evidence resides in something that is unseen. It resides in... In what is heard. We hear God speak and therefore have faith. That constitutes for our evidence. And so that's why if, if you ain't getting any money coming or if, if you're not receiving what you're expecting, but you were nevertheless praying for, you know that you have it, not because you see it, but because Jesus has declared in his word that if you believe and have prayed for it, that you have received it, it will be yours. So you, you, ha you have to believe in your receiving of it before it becomes yours. It isn't yours until you first believe you've received it in prayer. And that's the transaction. God says, give me faith and your supplication, your petition, and I will grant you your request. That's how it occurs. But what is it that we're looking for? We, we, we grope around and try to feel for the things that we can uh, uh, handle in the natural. We're like Thomas who says, unless I, I, I put my fingers in his nail marks, I, I won't believe. You know, so that's interesting. A lot of times we're looking for things to occur in the natural, thinking it's going to influence us to faith when in in reality there are many instances even that after having seen you still don't believe in thomas's case in the israelites case they seen a red sea part what more could they have desired 
how do you come from worshiping Yahweh to succumbing to idolatrous worship by a golden calf, assuming something you have fabricated served as the basis of your deliverance? No golden calf delivered you. But that's what that's what sin does. It warps understanding. It 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 distorts your mind. And so I, I place a greater um value upon what I actually don't see rather than what I do see. Because what we see is actually manipulative and is deceptive and it lies to us. So, some someone can say, you know, I I love you and I'll, I'll be here for you, and and their presence, uh, in the natural would assure you, but God is saying to you by the Spirit, they're going to leave you. And in that instance, what do we place a greater trust in, right? A lot of times we'll still follow through with what our eyes are seeing. We have to learn to tap in and to incline our ears into what the Holy Spirit says. To what the Holy Ghost says. And guess what? You're never going to arrive to a place to where you don't need to cultivate faith. We continue to stretch and expand our muscles in the, in the place of, of faith. You know... Um, let me give you an example. <clears throat> Some time back, I was at a prayer meeting, and um, and there was this guy that was present that I'd never seen before, and um, well, I was actually relatively new to the prayer meeting, r- regardless. But I I hadn't seen this guy there, and uh, the Lord had uh, spoken to me uh, specifically that this guy. Uh, whom I've never seen, was moving to a city called Fresno. And so, you know, in that moment, God gives me a specific word, like down to the city that he's going to move to. And God prompted my heart to speak to him. And I'm not going to lie, there was doubt. Because that's a pretty specific thing. Either it's false or it's not. It's true or it's false. It's not broad enough for me to play it safe. And now the risk wasn't something crazy like I'm going to die if I'm wrong. But the risk was I'm going to look like a fool or I'm going to look weird or crazy. And I don't know about you, but I don't prefer looking like a fool. You know, maybe you're you're more spiritual than myself and you enjoy that sort of stuff. But I, per- I particularly don't, right? <laughs> so, but nonetheless... I spoke that, and it was certainly, it was the case that he was moving to a city called Fresno, and he was actually seeking the Lord for direction. He was wanting to move there, and God was telling me, God has ordained this move, and that you're on on the right track, and you're, you're, and so I bring that up as an example, because there's nothing I conclude, can conclude from my eyes that would lead me to have certainty of that. What do I have to do? I have to become blind to my eyes. And I have to tune in into the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Right? Because, guess what? The devil can 
set you up for a trap so that looks very promising. He, he, he says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of this. In fact, you know what he'll do? Because Jesus was promised the nations as his inheritance. The devil will say, I will fast track that and you can avoid a cross and I'll give it to you. Just bow down and worship me. See, what the devil will do is he will promise you what God has promised you, but with the seemingly apparent uh, better um, better sign-up plan. But the thing that you're not looking is the thing he wants, the thing that he doesn't show you is the fine print that tells you it comes at the cost of your soul. It comes at the cost of your marriage. It comes at the cost of your relationships. It comes at the cost of your virginity. It comes at the cost of you fill in the blank. He wants you to, it's kind of like Apple and iPhone and stuff like that, or even Android and stuff like that. They have you sign up for all these things. It says, do you accept all these terms and conditions? And it's like a long list that you and I both don't read. Like just... Lit, like this long list and you're like I ain't got time for that even if I read it I don't even understand the terminology I'm good just I'll I'll deal with it later if it's problematic right well you're you're getting in relationships and you haven't you you've accepted all the terms and conditions you haven't read all the fine print and then they complicate all the language too just so it would discourage you it's kind of like the shampoo bottles where it has all these crazy names on the back and it's like, man, I don't know what the heck that stuff is, but hey, it's worked all my life, so I'll just keep doing it, right? <laughs> and and what you don't realize that there the, the, it's there's fruit generating that you can't see, and that fruit is death. That fruit, okay, so on and so forth. <clears throat> There, um, sorry, I just, I'll just fo- following and uh, the the voice of the spirit. Um, I'm sure you guys needed to hear that. Um, I, I do um, want to at this moment uh, pray. Father, I come before you, Lord. To the throne of grace boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, I pray that you would grant me the grace to speak. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict the hearers, Lord, but you would also edify and build up the hearers. Lord, I, I pray, God, that we would be not hearers only, but doers of the word. That we would not be hearers only and deceive ourselves. But we would also be doers of the word. Grant us grace to obey you in all things. Like your word says in First John that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. They're not grievous. Father, educate us by your spirit, Lord. I pray, God, in the mighty name of Jesus that you would grant us direction. You would grant us guidance that you would you would eliminate all the options that would only lead to the broad path 
Father, I pray that we would follow down only the narrow path. And Lord, that it would be accompanied with joy. It would not be accompanied with discouragement or dismay. Father, for we know that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and O Lord, I pray that you would grant us your strength as we bring you joy. And in addition to that strength, Lord, grant us joy. Father, I pray that we would endure every cross that is before us, O Lord. By your strength and by your grace, we know, O Lord, that all these things are impossible by ourselves. But as Paul said, we have set our trust on him who is able to raise us from the dead. And he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will continue to deliver us. You're the God who raises the dead and so therefore, Lord, quicken us, as David said, that we may call on your name. Father, make us a people of prayer. Make us, O Lord, a house of prayer. Make us, O Lord, I pray. A house of prayer. May we not listen to the voice of the devil. May we not listen to the voice of the enemy. May we not listen, Lord, to his lies. Teach us to hear the Holy Ghost and to trust in your word and not any bad report that we hear or see. Or teach us, O Lord, what it means to press into you and have a confidence in the words that are firm and settled in the heavens. Father, I just pray that you would eliminate distractions. I pray that you would eliminate, Lord, anything that the devil would seek to bring into this gathering to derail us from the things that are of eternal worth. Father, I just pray, God, that the things that we are living for are worth you dying for. And Father, I just pray, God, by your Spirit, encourage your people. I just ask that you would speak this day, speak this morning or evening, wherever we're at in the world. God, grant us direction. Father, I pray, eliminate discouragement and despondency and depression, the spirit of heaviness and confusion. Grant, Lord, light and encouragement and good hope, O Lord. In fellowship in the Spirit, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. 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 Hallelujah. So again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. um, You know, I wanted to say as a way of reminder, um, you know, you have to understand that just because I open the Bible doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. There's different forms of speech in the kingdom. We know that there's there's purposes of speech related to encouragement. Second uh, Timothy chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen, uh, encouragement, correction, exhortation, and there there's prophecy and you know and so on and so forth. There's there's different ways that God builds us up or corrects us or and um well it, it's not always teaching orientated sometimes it's a prophetic charge for the people for the house 
if that makes sense. For every house, there's a specific message for them. When the Lord had given a message to the book of Revelation, there was nothing teaching orientated. There was no, there was no teaching involved. What was it? It was, it was an exhortation. It was a rebuke. It was a discipline that related to their contextual problems. And so as a house, the Lord sees that our contextual problem for, for the majority of us, I'm assuming, was faith. And that's why things were percolating in your heart and, and the Holy Spirit was speaking directly to, to some of you. And, and I'm sure your conscience bore witness that you needed to hear what was said. That's because it's a, it's a message related specifically for the house. And uh, for some, it, it may not have stuck, right? And um, because you didn't need to hear that. Um, but again, going to Revelation, um, there, there are specific problems associated with each church. And um, so now we're getting to the teaching aspect, um, which is also valid for the body of Christ. <clears throat> In this kingdom, it's, it's built upon light. What exactly, uh, what exactly serves as light? Knowledge of the truth is what serves as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As it states in Psalm 119, the word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible tells us in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 that for the lack of knowledge my people perish. It doesn't say for the lack of God's compassion toward us that we perish. God is not lacking in his compassion toward you. You're lacking in compassion toward yourself because you're not availing yourself of the requisite knowledge necessary to lead you out of bondage. Amen. The Bible says in um, Proverbs chapter 4, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Um, that It seems like that should go without saying, that the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. It's like, well, thanks, that's not telling me anything new, right? But actually, that is very wise. Because this is the principal thing in wisdom. And what is that? Get wisdom. Right? Because I can tell you a wise saying, and that, that not communicate wisdom to you because you haven't learned its essentials. It's, it's a, the A, B's, and C's of wisdom. And the A, B's, and C's of wisdom is point number one. With everything that you got, get wisdom. Everything. It says it is more precious than rubies and nothing you can desire can compare to her. Right? And so we have to place a high value on wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of Socrates, not the wisdom of Plato, but or wisdom of Cardi B, or whoever else the, this new generation is listening to. It ain't that wisdom. That's, that's trash. We have to uh, uh, value the wisdom of God. It's His wisdom. And in the absence of this wisdom and knowledge... We find ourselves in dark without lamps. 
It says the way of the treacherous is as deep darkness, and they know not at which they stumble. And so they continue to stumble. And Jesus says, woe unto you if the darkness that you possess, that he says, woe unto you if the light you possess is truly darkness. And when he says light, he quotations. What he means is, if you interpret the darkness that you are engulfed in as light, then how great is that darkness? Amen. But the man who says, I'm in dark, I'm in the dark and I can't see, I need light. It's those that God administers light to. And so guess what that implies? The beginning of the entrance of light involves your admission of its absence. In other words, you say, I don't possess it, I need it, therefore God grant me it. And he will administer light necessary for your direction. Amen. People say time and time again, I don't know what I'm supposed to do for God. And there's a bit of truth in that. And and I've heard people file complaints toward heaven. God, you aren't doing anything. You're not, you know, you're confusing me. And, you know, all these other, other things are you're allowing me to be confused. Right? When actually Jesus says, if any man's desires to do the will of God, he will know my whether or not if my doctrine is from God. And so God doesn't play hide and go seek with you to confuse you or to lead you on to this endless quest. God Amen. promises in his word, in John, that if, if it is your will to do the will of God, you will discover whether or not what is or what is not the doctrine of God. And so atheists who are always filing complaints and saying, you know, there isn't enough evidence for God, that they're liars. God will grant them sufficient evidence if they would humble themselves and seek to do the will of God. The fact that they don't want to do it, they, their eyes are now darkened and it's hidden from their understanding. And so they're sent a strong delusion. But this kingdom is built upon light. And we need light to successfully live out this walk. Right? We need light. We need knowledge. And so going to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Let me stop there. And so let me just give you a little bit of uh, background here. <clears throat> Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus that is predominantly Gentile. And Paul is ethnically a Jew. Um, so he's writing to them, communicating to them that God is now acceptant of, of Gentiles. God has welcomed those who are not ethnic Jews into his family. And the Bible says that he has broken down the walls and barriers that had existed. And as the result of, of Jesus' coming and death on the cross and his resurrection, he tells us that faith in that message um, grants us availability into God's household and so that we are no longer foreigners nor strangers 
to God's house, nor strangers to his promises, nor strangers to him. Um, in former times, before the, the, the administration of grace, before the gospel, the nations were in darkness. Greece, Rome, they had no knowledge of the truth. Because the law, the law which was a light, which was a beacon in the Old Testament, was not given to them. And so many of these nations and countries had, had resided in darkness. But now Paul is saying the time has come for the welcoming in of the Gentiles. And as a result of our belief in this message, you are no longer strangers nor foreigners. And so guess what that says? Here's a very uh, practical advice or personal advice. If you've believed on Christ and you've believed in that message, you are not to feel as a stranger to God. You are not to doubt your sonship or the fact that you're a daughter. You're no longer a stranger to God. God knows you. And you know God. So we're fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household. So that means you you should not feel excluded. You belong somewhere. Guess what? You belong somewhere even if you wander off like the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he wandered off. But what what happened when he found himself destitute and hungry and he squandered all his wealth? He, he, He spent everything. And see, he finally came to his senses. Sometimes we don't come to our senses until we have been spent by the world. We've become wasted by the world. And the world is careless of our miserable condition. Amen. It will um, spit us up spew us out and be indifferent and careless toward our misery. And that was the case that the prodigal son found himself in. But guess what? Despite his miserable condition, he still belonged somewhere. And after coming to his senses, he said what? He says, how many more of my father's hired servants are well off than myself? I will go back from whence I came. So it was still his father, even though he was not living like an honorable son. Nothing changed the DNA. Once a son, always a son. Once a daughter, always a daughter. Even though you're not living in light of that identity of yours. So we're citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So we have the option to return. But guess what? When we return, there's a way that the Father 
orders his house and runs his house. He doesn't allow anything and everything to occur under his house. And this is precisely why teachers and ministers will undergo a stricter judgment. Because he has entrusted them to run his household. Did not Jesus say that he has entrusted uh, servants to the house and that when he goes on a journey and some say, you know, my master has been on a long journey, he's, he's taking his time. I, and then he says, he starts beating the servants and and um, it says that the servants who knew the will of the master and who did not do it will be beaten with many stripes. And so the the teachers who are not running God's household in accord with his word will be beaten with many stripes. They will undergo a stricter judgment. And that's why it's not a light thing to um, enter into the, the ministry. It's a serious thing. Not to scare anybody, but it's a, it's a sobering truth. And... Um, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who said that we have entered a day where we um, have more clowns behind the pulpit than we do ministers. He said something to that effect. And the unfortunate and sad reality is that we have, and I say this not as a mere insult, but as a a truth, um, is that we have a lot of clowns that aren't, um, honorable who who care little as to what God has said in his word and we have more entertainment shows and um, circuses the household of God than we do actual services where it is it is welcoming of the presence of God you know we can have a lot of activity in the church because the church is pretty good the church has a PhD in in the subject of getting uh, of being busy, and as Ravenhill once said, it's a mile wide but an inch deep. And just because there is activity doesn't mean there's productivity in the spirit. Amen. Some of the people that are bustling around with a lot of activity and kicking up dust are the the loudest in the kingdom but the, there's a loud bang but no no target there's no there's no um substance and that's why a lot of people who are very loud and whose whose platform is are very large oftentimes are often are a lot of the times men with no weight there are light men with light messages because they have no stature. There's no weight in the spirit because they spend very little time with, with God and therefore have little encounters with God. And as one, I remember one quote is the, uh, an encounter with God that costs nothing is worth nothing and does nothing. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't possess. And what we need to do is go to the closet with Christ 
and draw from him that we be a, that we will be able to minister out of the wealth of what Christ deposits in our spiritual lives. This is why I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that no man is greater than his prayer life. As Ravenhill says, no man is greater than his prayer life. You don't believe me? Ask a man that only gives 15 minutes to his prayer life and ask him to pray for you. It will do nothing. I assure you. Nothing. But didn't he pray in Jesus' name? There, 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 he doesn't have a proper altar. It doesn't matter if you administer a sacrifice. If you don't have a correct altar, it will do nothing. I mean, the, the, the realm of darkness knows this. They can fill you out more than pastors do in America. They will look you up and down and know you have no weight and no power. And I'll say this as a condemnation. I say this as a wake-up call. We need the anointing, the power. Enough with this intellectualization and this rationalization of, of oh, well, we are... You know, uh, we all have received uh, power when we've received Christ. Yeah, then that's why you're still living a powerless life. You're more theological than you are experiential. And what, what I, I'm not suggesting that theology is bad, but we're always trying to give an argument for why we're powerless. You spend three hours in, in the presence of Christ and tell me you don't come out a transfigured man or woman. You will. If you're praying in the Spirit, I assure you, you will. And then come back to me and tell me that, that, your, that your theology is still correct. Because it's not. Because there is not one infilling of the Holy Ghost. There's constant floodings of the Holy Ghost that begins to empower you, empower you, and empower you for service. You look in the book of Acts. They prayed and the Holy Ghost fell. They prayed the Holy Ghost fell. They prayed the Holy Ghost fell. And so if we want more infillings and baptisms of the Holy Ghost, we need to continue to pray. That is our power source. Do you just charge your phone one time? Yeah, you bought a new phone. It's in great condition, but you need to continue to stick it in, you know, to the charger and put it in the outlet. There's nothing in this life that runs independent of any sources of energy except God Himself. Everything runs off energy. Everything. Don't matter how healthy you are. And in fact, it's precisely because you're healthy that you're able to retain uh, energy. Does that make sense? See, it's when we are sick, our body rejects food. When you're sick, guess what? Your, your spirit man rejects the word of God. So, <clears throat> um, my point though is that we need to constantly be filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to be filled with power. And... There are prayers that can accomplish much, and there's praying that accomplishes little. 
And what gives me the basis to say this is in, in James, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. He doesn't just say prayer avails much. No, he says the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. So not only must you be righteous, you must be fervent in your praying. And not everybody's fervent in their praying. Some men pray like they're trying to start an old car that is lacking in gas. They can't get anything off the ground. And I say this not as an insult, but if you're experiencing that in your life, you haven't reached the point that you need to arrive to in your in your spiritual life to where you can be glided by the Spirit and your prayers takes wings. Does that make sense? If you're always having trouble starting Amen. your car, there's a problem. <laughs> I'm not the best impersonator of, of cars. Maybe we need... Um, a, a carnal pastor to try praying and we'll get a good impersonation. <laughs> I, um, our closet time has to be the most attractive thing, the most enjoyable thing. If it's still a burden to you, you're not where you need to be in your spiritual life. Let me say this. If corporate prayer on Wednesdays is a burden to you, you haven't arrived to where you need to be in your spiritual life. I would rather go to a prayer meeting than to this crazy concert with these hip Christians any day. I'm being serious. I'm not lying. The reason why is because I want God. I want God. I want God. I want Christ. I want Him. I don't care about the fluff. I don't care about the cotton candy. I want Him. <clears throat> um, verse 20, it says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You know, there's a lot of liars out there. That says that there are no apostles and prophets for today. And um, the text is very clear that there are apostles and prophets. And the, re the reason I can say that is if you look in Ephesians chapter 4. It says when Jesus ascended on high. He gave gifts to men. And what were those gifts? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So this is post-resurrection. So it, it's after the resurrection, when he ascends on high, then he gives them. So these are the ascension gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. And so for those that say that it's no longer in continuation, they don't read their Bibles. But nonetheless, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And it says, and it says, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And so the cornerstone is, is 
that that stone that resides in the corner that enables for the whole building to remain. And that's why the text says that the builders who have rejected the cornerstone, he was, he was talking about the Jews and the Pharisees, they've rejected Christ and they're trying to build without him. The Bible says that the laborers who labor out without the Lord labor in vain. That unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. <clears throat> and so, you know, I want to ask this personal question. Are you building your house in vain? I know that contextually it's talking about the church, but is Christ the cornerstone of your life? Or is it a person? Or is it your ideologies? Or is it your your personal ambitions? Or is Christ the cornerstone? And in Christ, if he serves as the cornerstone, he holds everything together. Without him, everything will, will be, every, all your labor will be um, futile. It will be for no point, for no reason. Does that make sense? <coughs> And so it says, um, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So, without foundations, nothing can stand. It's the apostles' doctrine that must be the foundation to the church. The apostles' doctrine. So what we find here in the scriptures must dictate... Our thinking must dictate our doing, must dictate our behavior, must dictate our choices. And see, you know, th this is why we have to be careful to be biblical more than we are traditional. Because sometimes it's the traditions that we have learned that served for the destruction in our lives. The things that we thought were based on scripture, but were they were nothing more than our traditions. We have to be willing to be acceptant of the truth of God to direct our lives. Not what we think, but what Jesus has declared to be the truth. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> See, um, you know, I always think it's interesting when people, they get bent out of shape. When I when I when I when I correct some of their thinking uh, on uh, like social media and stuff, and I'm like, yo, what, why are you getting upset? If it's the word of God, why are you getting defensive? The word of God doesn't need defense. I remember Charles Spurgeon said, "It's a lion just released the you know uh, open the gate and let it out. You know, defend itself." The point is that if you're really believing the scriptures, why are you getting so defensive if I'm telling you you're wrong? At the very least, well, you know, like you have a naive man saying something that's not true about you. Right? A lot of times it's because we're afraid to be wrong. But why are we afraid to be wrong? If we are wrong about our understanding of the word of God, then that is one step closer for us to be correct. And if we're correct, that should lead to fruit. So why are we afraid of challenge? Why are we afraid of growth? Why are we afraid of being corrected? 
You find a man of God in the scriptures in the book of Acts, his name was Apollos, it says he was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. And yet what does the word of the Lord say? That Priscilla and Aquila needed to show unto him the more perfect way. What does it say in Proverbs? A wise man shall attain unto wise counsel and so increase learning. It says, rebuke not a mocker, and, and lest you injure yourself. And so it's always the people that are mockers, who love their ideologies more than they love the word of God, that will insult you and attack you if you try to correct them. But a wise man says, let me evaluate my inventory to see if I checked it. And if I already checked it, and I think I checked it correctly, what's wrong with the double check? Do you see you can never be too cautious when it comes to your stance on the Word of God. You know, we're talking about the most serious thing under the sun. The very Word that would judge the nations and our behaviors, our lives. And so, he's, he's telling us it must be built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets. And so that is also suggestive of the fact that prophets and apostles are are, are very um, they're they're necessary for the building of the church. If you look in, um, I believe it's Ezra. I don't know if it's the sixth or ninth or seventh chapter somewhere in there, but um, it talks about that in accord with the prophet prophecy of Haggai and Zechariah that they built the temple, and so that is an Old Testament. Scripture that is suggestive of the fact that we need prophetic ministry for the upbuilding of the church, the laying of its foundations. Because what, what prophecy does, it reveals the mind of God to you. Prophecy reveals the mind of God relevant to your life and provides direction and guidance. So, and Christ is that cornerstone. Verse 21, In Him the whole building is joined together. And who is that building? We are that building. We are that temple. So, I want to correct something. I've said this before. But we have to get this. You hold your place there. You are not the temple. And when I say you, I'm not talking about... Um, Plural, like you as a whole. I'm talking about you individually. So if I ask, are you the church? Your answer should be no. And the reason why I say that, or if I ask you, are you the temple? The answer is no, you are not a temple. You are a stone. That is a part of the temple. If I, if I take the stone out of the hole and I ask the stone, are you a temple? His answer should be no. He's a stone that is the is a contribution as one single part to make a contribution to the whole. So if you look in 1 Peter chapter 2 If you look in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 you also like living stones. So let me ask you this question. Before you put a stone on its found, on a foundation and include it into the whole structure, is it a temple? No. 
It says, you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says also in Corinthians, he says, you are the temple. That The, the word you, it's confusing in English. It can either be singular or it can be plural. In the King James, the way you separated the two is you was singular, ye was plural. And so when he says you, he's talking in the plural, are the temple. So the idea of a temple is not separated from, it's, it's, it's the whole, as we as the people of God, living stones compacted together are built into a spiritual house. And so guess what that means? You have to get next to other stones. You're not sufficient in yourself to constitute for a temple. You know, I I, I love those um, Christians who say, you know, oh, you know, everybody is wrong. And he's like Elijah, I'm the only one standing. You know, (laughs) everybody's bowed their knee to Baal. You know, and they're, they're deceived. They're wrong. You know, don't get me wrong, we are living in a day and age where there's a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of corruption. But if 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 you're the standalone individual who doesn't want to interact with other believers, there's something wrong. So <clears throat> we are living stones, and it says in him, so it's in Christ. See, a lot of churches today, they're doing things in denomination, not in Christ. They're doing things in Baptist or Reformed or Antibaptist or, you know, and their whole culture is constituted by their denomination and by their traditions. No, it's forget that. It says in Christ, in him, the building is joined together. So what should unite us isn't a denom- uh, an abomination, I mean, desol- <laughs> abomination, desolation, no, denomination of desolation. <laughs> what, what should unite us isn't a denomination, but it's Christ, it's his word, it's his person, right? Amen. Unfortunately, I've, I've had people reject me because I, I didn't look like them. I've, I've had churches reject me because I got a beard. They think I should be like shaven. Um, I've, I've, I've had churches reject me because I, I didn't s- subscribe to, you know, their, you know, their view on, on things. And I'm sure some of you have experienced the same. It's about Christ. It says, in him, the whole building is joined together. So what does it mean to be joined? If I join a meeting, if I join a club, if I join this, if I join that, that means there's a partnership, there's a connection. It's like a three-legged race. It might serve as a disappointment for some or a disadvantage to some because you're pretty quick on your own. 
and you're used to running on your own. And you're like, nah, there are some people that weren't team players because they were so good and athletic at everything. They're like, and, you know, they they, they, they would prefer to do sports that just involved themselves because they were so good at things. And what, what that is, that's suggestive of is, is a pride. There's this unwillingness to cooperate. Does that make sense? There's this unwilling to unwillingness to cooperate with and conjoin yourself with other stones. Maybe because that stone got a chip on it, or it's it's a, a particular material that you're not so fond of, you're not so favorable of, right? And then we start having prejudices against every stone when God has has selected that stone for Himself and says, "No, I don't care what you think. I'm including this stone within the building." Amen. Oh, you're you're not talking to me. Are are we stones? Are, are you joined together? <laughs> Amen. Uh, unless you want to be used as material for a bar or something like that. I don't know about you, but I want to be a stone. I want to be a material. I want to be a clean vessel used for the Father's house. That's an honor. That's a privilege. He's taken you from trash and he's included you into a household. You have the privilege of being a sacred and precious stone. Amen. Sacred and precious. <clears throat> it says, being joined together and rises to become a holy temple. So guess what that means? We have to continue to build upwards. There, there shouldn't be any tearing down. Now we have to be careful because sometimes people think scriptural correction is tearing down. No, scriptural correction is actually upbuilding. Because if you're building wrongly, and I say, hey, 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 hold on, stop, stop, you're building wrong. That is helping the work, not being a disservice to the work. Right? Let, actually, just stop there real quick. Let's turn to Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Well, actually, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. And we'll read through 17. <clears throat> but as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Let me, just say, let me say it right here. We all stand on the shoulders of someone. There is no Christianity in a vacuum. The, the, we got here to where we are be, through the help of others. So even Timothy, Paul didn't say, you, you studied all this stuff yourself. He didn't say that. No. He says, because you're convinced of this, and it says, what does he say? Because you know those from whom you learned it. Was Timothy a godly man? Was he called? Yes. Because what that but that didn't negate the fact that he needed to learn from people. See, people are saying, God, give me wisdom. And he puts someone in your path and that is the avenue through which he wants to administer wisdom to you and you are rejecting it. 
<clears throat> Imagine a you know a child, he's thirteen years old, fourteen years old, and says, "God, give me wisdom." Right. But the father has to administer a rod because the child is rebellious in an area. That rod is, serves as the instrument for wisdom. It's corrective. Does that make sense? So God uses things, but he primarily uses people. You, you can say amen. What, what that does, it keeps you from pride. Number one, you can't say you got there all by yourself. And, and, and the Lord purposefully limits each and every one of us so that we have to draw from the resources of another to complete our, um, to complete our knowledge. Amen. Why do you think he hasn't made everybody uh, an evangelist or a pastor or with this gift? There are some things that, that the Lord has has made you weak in a specific area to make you interdependent upon another so that their strength can complement your weakness. But see, the problem is we want to be everything to everybody at every t- at all times. We can't. Amen. We ha- we, there are limitations that the Lord has placed upon each and every one of us. But it says, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So despite the fact that Timothy knows the Holy Scriptures from infancy, it is not suggestive of the fact that he can exclude help. He needs help. And there's other people that he has learned things from, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, some of us want to continue in a work without correction or reproof. Some of us want to get married without correction or reproof in certain areas. But if you insist and you get ahead of God, you won't be thoroughly furnished for that work. Amen. It's like throwing a premature surgeon into a surgery room. Do you want that sort of person to operate on you? (laughs) I don't. Maybe some of you guys will do it for cheaper, right? You don't want a fat bill? You you do you take the risk. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't want that guy operating on me. I want someone seasoned. I want someone experienced. I want someone who's been corrected a thousand times. I want like a lot of reproof. I want I want this person to see. If someone told you, "Hey, I'm a surgeon," it's like, "Oh yeah, nice. What college did you go to?" I didn't go. I taught myself. Like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) You don't have to agree. I know I'm right. (laughs) 
It ain't about me being right. It's about the scriptures being right. But I'm telling you, I'm right on the scriptures on this point. We need each other. And we need to learn from each other. (coughs) But the scriptures are useful for this. For teaching, correction, reproof, and training. So you need to be trained in righteousness. You need to be trained in your ministries. You need to be trained in your giftings. Why do you think even in the Old Testament there was the school of the prophets? You know, I've I've had cessationists try to, you know, talk to me. Oh, you don't teach people to prophesy. It's like someone who doesn't do that is trying to tell me that you don't need it. But yet they will be oblivious to the scriptures where it shows us very clearly that there were a school of the prophets in the Old Testament. We're all biblical. We all claim to be biblical until the time comes for us to really be biblical. Right? Because it's a challenge to us. It corrects us. And we don't like to be corrected. But we need it. We want to be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Because you don't, look, the Lord wants to bring you joy in the works that you commit to him, whatever that means. And if you're not thoroughly furnished, you will hurt the work and it will hurt your joy. We don't, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we, we want to be able to build and build correctly. We want to be able to build ourselves up in Christ. We want to be able to build our lives upon the rock. So when the torrents come, the waves come, we won't be demolished. We will stand. We will stand and we will stand firm. But it says, Ephesians 2, it says, He rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, the unfortunate reality is this, that God's spirit doesn't reside in every church. Was it not Jesus who said in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and I knock. You know, Jesus is proclaimed in many churches every Sunday by whom certain persons who have kicked him out. It's possible. Did it not say in the Old Testament that the glory had departed? The glory can depart from the temple. I don't want God's glory to depart from this temple. I don't want God's glory to depart from us. I want his presence to continue to be pleased to dwell in our midst. Pleased to dwell in our midst. You know, it's like on Wednesdays. why, Why do you think it's always the case that there's a testimony or God is doing something? It answers to our prayers. You know why? Because we enter into his heavenly sanctuary and he sends us help from it. He's in our midst and he's working in our midst. 
and we can sense his presence and the peace of God is administered and, and his joy wells up in our souls. Why? Because we are insistent upon this fact. We need Christ in this temple. We need Christ. We need to build on Christ, for Christ, through Christ, and with Christ. You know, just because you proclaim Jesus don't mean that you have Christ. You can proclaim a Jesus and have no Christ. Because Christ isn't the last name of Jesus. Christ, Jesus was the Christ because he was anointed by the Father. We have people today that will proclaim the blood, but they don't know anything of the anointing. That's what Christ means in the Greek. Christos means anointing. We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Right? We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost on our lives. See, the, the, we, we need not only the blood, we need the oil. Does that make sense? We need the blood to wash our sins. We need the cross. But after the cross is a resurrection. And when he resurrected and ascended on high, he administered holy oil upon us for his work, for his service. I want to show you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says this, he says, well, beginning at verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Those are some heavy words there. Right? So, we have to have the foundation of Christ secure. And Paul is saying that in your contribution to this temple, you can build with poor material, hay, straw, so on and so forth. But we don't want to build with that. We want to build with gold and silver. The Bible says in Haggai chapter 2, the Lord says the silver and gold are mine. And they are in the book of Joshua when the Lord it told Joshua to you know defeat Jericho and so on and so forth. He said the silver and gold are, are mine. And that's why um, I forgot the man's name. He stole some of the devoted articles and... And sin was in the camp because he committed idolatry because that belonged to the Lord. 
And that's why when they had gone out to, do, to fight in battle, they were defeated. And so Joshua had come back and said, you know, Lord, what's the problem here? See, the Lord wants silver and gold devoted to himself as sacred vessels. And that's precisely what it is that he wants us to build with. Because silver and gold can endure the fire. Right? See, if it can't endure the fire, it can't stand the test of time. It's not durable and it is not of great value. Straw and wood and all this stuff will be burnt up. And guess what? You know straw, wood and all that stuff, it's above the ground where men are able to observe, but precious stones and gold and silver are found underneath the ground where eyes are not able to explore. They can't see this stuff. And so... Silver and gold takes a lot of effort to dig for and to search for. It do, you don't stumble across gold. It says in Christ are hidden all manners of treasure. So we draw from Christ these treasures. And it requires digging. It requires search. It requires exploration. If you have like a million dollars in in euros or American dollars or whatever currency you're dealing with, you purchase gold, you're not going to have as much as someone who builds with, you know, purchases straw. It's going to look very impressive like they got a lot. But, But in the realm of the spirit, that little bit of gold translates to much more worth and value to God. Amen? Amen. So God's temple is sacred. See, people have used this verse to say, oh yeah, you know, um, we we need to avoid cigarette smoking and and alcohol because you don't want to defile the temple. I'm not saying we should smoke cigarettes or anything. But my point though is that's not what Paul is talking about here. Defiling the temple is to introduce false doctrines to the church. That's how you defile it. It's through... Because, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I won't have to prove my point. But it is um, incorrect doctrines, false doctrines that are introduced to the church that serves as its defilement. Right? Because in context, he's talking about building with with the true doctrine. with true With God's pure words. The Bible says that the word of the Lord are like uh, silver refined seven times over. And so it's the Lord's word that enables us to construct with proper material, whether building in the church or building our lives. And so do we want our lives to stand the test of time? Do we want our lives to be able to endure the fire? Then we need to be careful to accept and embrace the word of God that we may be able to construct uh, properly. If you look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Same same term that Paul is using. He says, as a wise master builder. 
says, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rock is Christ. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fail. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Because Jesus is telling us that it's through the word of God that we build as wise men. But it's through not implementing his teachings. As though it doesn't matter what teachings we build with, if it's not the teachings of Christ, we're as foolish people who build on the sand. So regardless whether foolish or wise, you're building something. Even if you decide to do nothing in your life, you're still building something by default, and it's just rubble and trash. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, when Jesus says, because the winds and the waves, they will come. Whether for foolish or whether for wise, there's nothing you can do to prevent the waves from coming. What are those waves? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read in context so you can get an understanding of how that parallels with Matthew 7. If you you look at uh, uh, verse 7. Well, actually, let's just go to verse 4 so we can uh, give even even further context to this. Well, verse 3, actually. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this is relating to the fact that we are living stones and we are to be compacted together, joined together. We can't be joined if we're not unified. If we are disunified, that means there is no joined partnership there is no connection and so he's telling us that we need to make every effort to or in other words as the kg kjv puts it to strive so there's a lot of effort that we exert verse three make uh, uh, verse four there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called so there's only one christ there's only one hope there's only one spirit so we believe the same Christ, have the same spirit, have the same hope. So why can't we be one temple? Is it because maybe someone is listening to demons or is it our pride getting in the way? We have to maintain unity. There's And then uh, verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace has been given. So Paul is referring to himself, each one of us, referring to the fivefold ministers. Grace has been given to them for what purpose? As Christ apportioned it, that is why it says when he ascended on high, talking about when he ascended for after his resurrection, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Who is his people? Well, the church. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? What he's saying here is the fact that Jesus ascended, it it first implies his death. And descending to the earthly regions is is another way of how he's referring to Jesus' death. Because Jesus descended in the earth, right, for three days. So that was first, then he ascended after that. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. This is 
just different language that Paul also uses in Philippians where Jesus where Paul says because Jesus endured the cross and took upon him the fashion of a servant and became obedient even the death of the cross wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and so this is just different language to describe the same thing that Paul's talking about in Philippians that his death was necessary first before his exaltation in other words is his ascension you have to have a cross first before you get your crown does, does that make sense without a crown there's no cross Amen. <clears throat> all right God bless you brother I'm glad you're able to make it out man Um, who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, Jesus, Paul is talking about waves here, right? What are those waves? And he talked about waves also in Matthew chapter 7, right? Those waves are false doctrines that seek to sway you from left to right. And as, as we continue to abide in the doctrine of Christ and not only listen to his words, but also apply them, we will prevent ourselves from listening to these different waves and doctrines that will cause our house to collapse. Because the devil wants to sway you. The devil wants to sway you, he wants to sway myself. The solution to that is to abide in the word of Christ. He says, if my word remains in you and you remain in me, he says, ask whatsoever you wish and it shall be done for you. He says, proving to be my disciples, bearing much fruit. And so fruit bearing only comes by abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us. And we will be firmly planted. I think we all want to be firmly planted because I don't think you want your house to sway back and forth you know have you ever seen those houses that are like on the edge of cliffs and they they i don't know why people even do that it's crazy but they fall down i don't think you want that for your house why would we want that for our lives the way that we avoid that and we can is to build upon the rock a build upon the rock. <clears throat> um, we're, we're coming to a close. 
Um, but I want to I want to give attention to that one more time there in Ephesians four. So the purpose is that we would grow to become mature. Verse uh, fourteen, right? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. We need to grow to become mature. And and we will only grow to maturity to the level of our commitment to the word of Christ. Does that make sense? You know, you, you shouldn't abide on milk forever. There's, there's an appropriate time for you to be on milk. That's certain. But we should not live there forever. We need to develop maturity. I, I want to show you some of the symptoms of of immaturity. If you look at Hebrews chapter five, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter five, verse twelve. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter five, verse twelve. In fact, though by this time. You ought to be teachers. Now, maturity doesn't equate to being a teacher. Okay? So not everyone's called as a teacher, but in context, that's who he's writing to, are people who are called as ministers, but are still babies. Um, they're actually called Hebrews because they were formerly priests in the Old Covenant. Um, and I don't have time to show you that, but if you look very Carefully and read carefully. That's actually who he's, he's uh, talking to. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go around the mountain for 40 years. Who wants that? I don't want to, I don't want to walk around the mountain for 40 years. But that's what we will do if we don't grow up. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, when you are immature, see, we all ask the question, is this God's will? But there are certain persons who are so immature that they're always like, is this God's will? Is this blah? They just keep going back and forth and they can never execute. Or they're e- they easily rationalize things that are obviously not God's will. That's why you see them fall into ungodly relationships. And then they justify it by saying, well, I brought them to church. So, I mean, demons sit in church. It doesn't matter if someone goes to church. Well, I read the Bible, I had a Bible study with them. So what? You know, even James says, you know, you know, demons believe in the name of Jesus and they tremble. But easy, easy rationalizations of, oh, this is the will of God. Because you're not distinguishing good and evil. And so he says this, therefore let us move beyond the elementary teaching. So in other words, let's let's move beyond this stuff already. Let's go to maturity. 
about Christ and taking taking forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance. So a lot of the foundational things is repentance. You know, it's like people always need an altar call. I need to repent again. I need to repent again. And it's like, yo, let's repent once and for all and let's move forward. Not laying again uh, the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. And so, the teaching of the resurrection from the dead and judgment and repentance, that's all elementary stuff. You know, the people whose only message is repent, repent, or, you know, don't go to hell. Like, that's foundational stuff. That's elementary stuff. We need to know more than that. Once we've come to Christ and have repented, we should already have that secure and move forward and start building. Amen. Right? You know, it's it's like, I don't know. I think that's like the only playing card we have. <clears throat> We're always talking about, you know, the, the basics. We, we, we shouldn't be repenting every every Wednesday or every Saturday. You know, it, it's a it's you, you repent you should have repented once and for all. Now that doesn't mean that our mind doesn't progressively change and there's a renewal of the mind, but there's there's a one act of there should be one act like, no, I've repented from the world. I've left that stuff behind. I'm going forward in Christ. And and once we do that and we continue forward, we will mature. And and in proportion to our maturity, we'll be in, there will be uh, responsibilities invested in us. Entrusted to us. You know, it's like, do you remember being a kid where you're like 13 years old? You're like, I can't wait till I'm 18. I'm going to move out of this house. I'm going to blah, 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 do all this stuff. Well, where's the same eagerness as a Christian to say, you know, I can't wait till I'm mature. We have to strive for maturity. So let, let me give you let me give you three points very quickly. Jude chapter one verse twenty. It's praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. We are built up by prayer. Okay. So if you only spend ten minutes a day building a house, you're not gonna finish very fast. If you spend two hours a day building a house, you're going to finish faster than the man who is committing only ten to ten minutes. Does that make sense? So translate that in prayer. <clears throat> the Bible, the Scriptures. Now I now commend you to the word of God, to the word uh, to God's to the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. It says that in the book of Acts. So the word of God is what builds us up. So once again, if we're only devoting to a little devotional thing on you version once a day, you think we're going to be built up very much by that? 
You might it might be a bit edifying. I'm not denying that. It might be encouraging, but you're not gonna ver- you're not gonna be built up very much. You're gonna it's gonna be a very long process. Do you think you're gonna get a degree by only devoting one class once a week? No, good luck. You'll have your degree like 20 years from now. You know, you need to be a full-time student. You need to be studying, right? That That's how we develop that. And lastly, as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, is we are built up by how? Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. So by ministers. The Bible says in Jeremiah, I will give you shepherds after my heart to feed you. Hebrews 13 talks about their ability to guard and to supervise and to have to give an account for your souls. And so that will fast track your growth. You know, when I was when I was recently saved, when I was uh, when I was first saved, I remember at 17 years of age after services, when we would go out to eat, I would go to the table of the uh, the older men that were gray haired and I would ask them questions. I wanted to learn. Whereas the youth had their own table and they were having a good time and laughing, I wanted to know more about God. I wanted to invest everything that I had into learning more about Him. And so what did that influence me to do? Is to reach out and begin to ask them questions and to learn. And then before I knew it, I began to learn and I began to grow even further. And move beyond those who were originally teaching me. And continue to progress. And so on and so forth. And so in closing. um, Those are the three facets that will make for our growth. But we want our house upon the rock. Because the waves are going to come. And we need to make sure that our house will stand. Amen. So. Amen. In Ephesians 4 it talks about we have to be joined together. As we speak the truth and love. That we would grow up into him in all things. As each joint is supplied. By the ligaments and every other part. So guess what that means? You can't grow by yourself. You can't. If I detach my arm from the rest, if I detach one of my fingers from my hand, this finger ain't going to grow. It has to be connected. And all this has to be connected to my head. Because my head sends information to all of this to tell it to what, what to do. So some people just say, oh, you know, Christ is my head. But they're... But there's no body. The head can't stand in midair. The head needs a body. And that body is joined together. And so um, we'll close out in prayer.